Our New Testament scripture is from Luke chapter 5, 33 through 39. They said to him, that is Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into new old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Now let us pray. Our Father, these are your words, infinite, infallible. Lord, you gave them to teach us. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what you're trying to say to us. Lord, bless these poor words of mine that they may communicate what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have recognized this title for this sermon uh, if you're a kind of a romantic You enjoy Hallmark Channel, things like that. Something old, something new. You know, it's part of that old phrase. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. And you may have heard it. You may enjoy some of those uh, romantic stories. Or maybe you watch uh, Say Yes to the Dress or something like that. Sometime, well, I have to admit, I watch those things. Mary Lou likes them. <laughs> and sometimes a lot better than some of the programming that is on. So, so we watch. But as a matter of fact, Jesus' parable here grew up in the context of that kind of marriage situation. It's talking about the bridegroom. Why fast? Why be dour? Why be out and down and sad when the bridegroom is there? Jesus is demonstrating to the Pharisees and to the people that he is that bridegroom that is to come and to begin something new and exciting among them, just like a wedding, the union of husband and wife, and they start a new life together. Something new, something exciting, something wonderful. And Jesus says to them, I am the one who is coming to start something wonderful and new. 
And so he begins to contrast the new and the old. And Jesus points to a changing order of things. He points and shows them that he has come to inaugurate his kingdom by gathering his people together in faith and belief. And that inauguration of his kingdom is is not defined by external expressions such as fastings, but internal expressions of faith and heart obedience to the standards of God. And so he gives us a parable to show that his kingdom is not a new patch or a new infusion into some existing old format, but something excitingly fresh and radical and new and that sets the stage for the consummation of that kingdom when as the bridegroom, he comes again to gather his saints together for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, one of the things that is hard in this parable is that whole thing of change. Change is something very difficult. Well, at least it is for me. And the older I get, the worse I get. I'm set in my ways. And it's hard to change from them. And it can be frustrating. And I think perhaps if Jesus was trying to apply these things to us today, he he might have said something like, you know, you have to go from 1.2.3 to (laughs) 2.0. And when I see those things come up on my computer or my phone, you know, updates available, upgrades available, I cringe because I think, oh, no, I finally get used to one thing. Now they're changing it all around again, and things are difficult. They're hard to get used to. But, you know, I have to admit, sometimes change is good. Sometimes change brings progress. And Jesus came as a change agent in the world. He came to bring change. He brings a new way. The gospel, the good news in terms of spirituality and belief and worship. Now, that emphasis on the new things that he would bring, the new kingdom, inaugurating the new kingdom, was threatening to the old guard, those old Pharisees, and set in their ways. Difficult for them to see the new ways. And he confronts them with this parable about patching clothing and filling wineskins. And he shows them that his coming is not to patch up an old system that the religious leaders wore out with their emphasis on ritualistic externals, but to begin something radically new that brings life, forgiveness, Hope to all who come to Jesus. And so he gives them this parable as the kind of clincher for why he needs to bring something new. Now, Jesus is famous for his his parables. And they're simply stories involving common expressions that, that are 
known to the people he's dealing with, common everyday experiences, in order to make a heavenly point. And so he tells them first about a new patch on an old garment. Verse 36, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. We don't get the full impact of what Jesus is saying because that kind of experience itself is a little bit foreign to us. We live in kind of a throwaway culture. We don't patch much at all anymore. We don't try to repair much anymore. We just say, well, it's time to throw it away. And in fact, many things are even made not to be fixed or repaired, just throw them out. Mary Lou has a pair of kind of dress boots and they needed heels. So we finally managed to find one last existing shoe repair shop. <laughs> and we took the shoes there and the person took one look at them and said, oh, these can't be repaired. The, the sole and the heel are all one molding. You can't, and the, the heel is hollow and you can't patch it. So what do we do? <laughs> we even... We even see designer jeans nowadays, nowadays that are ripped and torn and uh, look like they should be thrown away, but actually cost a whole lot more because they are ripped and torn. Now, I, if you have jeans like that, I don't want to offend you. I mean, it's just my lack of, of new styles <laughs> that I don't quite get. You see, I, I grew up, my parents never had much, and I had jeans, and you get a hole in the knee. We, my mother bought these iron-on patches. So I had a pair of faded jeans with bright blue patches on the knee. They didn't look too good either, but <laughs> at least they were fixed. My mother also had a, a wooden egg-shaped thing. Maybe some of you remember those, a darning egg. You put them in the sock, and then it kind of stretched the hole so that you could sew it up. We don't do that anymore. We just throw things away. But in Jesus' day, they didn't have malls. They didn't have places they could go to buy things. So they basically had to repair the old. And so what they knew in Jesus' day was that if you took a new cloth and sewed it on something old, as soon as you washed the garment, the new would shrink and pull away from the old. And so everything was ruined. And the point that Jesus is making is simply that patching the old system that the Pharisees represented, patching the old system with an update or an upgrade will not work in the long run. It will just ruin the whole thing. It can't be repaired. It must be replaced. And so then he tells them about old wineskins, verses 37 and 38. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. We don't get the full impact of that either. 
our experience with wine is that it comes in bottles, first of all, or maybe a box that seems to be more popular now, but it comes in bottles and it's already fermented and you pop the cork and you pour it out and it's all very sophisticated. The very thought of using a pouch made of goat skins filled with wine with the neck of the skin being the actual spout, it, it strikes us even a little bit gross. <laughs> Who would want to drink their wine like that? But we have to look at it from the eyes of Jesus and the culture he is dealing with. You see, the new wine, the, the freshly fermenting wine, if you put it, you put it in a wineskin, it continues to produce some of the gases of the fermenting process. And it puts pressure on the skin. And it expands. And if you put that new wine in an old skin that was dried out and brittle, it would explode. So you had to put it in a newly cured wine skin that was soft and subtle so that it would be able to take that expansion. Some years ago at VBS, we, you, some of you remember this, we, we put a couple of Mentos and a Diet Pepsi and it just blew up. Great sight to see because it really went high. That's something like what was happening here. I remember as a child, my mother decided she'd like to make some homemade root beer. She got the recipe a little bit mixed up and uh, put a little too much yeast in it. And uh, after a while, we heard these bottles popping and exploding and spreading root beer all over the kitchen ceiling because it just blew up. Well, that's the kind of idea here that Jesus is trying to convey to these rigid, ritualistic, perfunctory ways of the Pharisees who were holding on to this old system and were objecting to a new and living, liberating way to worship God in the spirit and in truth. A whole, whole, a whole heartfelt, whole-souled commitment to the one who gave his life for his people to forgive sin by his sacrifice on the cross and to bestow salvation as a free gift to all who accept him by faith alone. You see, just patching up what was there would ultimately in the end bring ruin to it all. It couldn't be repaired. It had to be replaced. And so Jesus came to bring this new covenant in his blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, to bring joy because the bridegroom was there. And, and verse 39 is a little bit difficult to understand in light of what he's been saying. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. It seems to be more of a, a critis, criticism of the Pharisees. 
this is what you're doing. I'm bringing the new, but you continue to say the old's better. It's more of an indictment to what the Pharisees are standing for, thinking that the old is better. But Jesus wants them dearly to see, and he wants all those to see that the new is so much better. And so the second thing, as we look at this parable, is how do we deal with it? What what can we gain from it? What's the practical challenge for it? First of all, this new kingdom that Jesus brings, that he inaugurates, is a time of joy. A time of joy. Now, I don't want to say, and I don't want to imply that the Old Testament is beyond usefulness anymore, and now we're focused on the new. Now, I, I don't want to say that, and Jesus was not saying that. The Old Testament certainly looks forward to what Jesus is doing. We mentioned that passage in Isaiah that, that Jesus read at the synagogue, saying that now it's fulfilled. Someone put it this way one time, and kind of stuck with me, that the, the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained and the Old Testament by the New Testament is explained. See, they both work together. And so to, just to give you an example, certainly you look at the Old Testament and you see the sacrificial system that was set up there, the Passover. And as we think of that, as you look at that, you know, the, the Israelites took the blood of the sacrificed lamb and spread it on their doorpost and the angel of death passed over their houses. What is that? It's a forward look to what Jesus did on the cross that having had his blood applied to us for the forgiveness of our sins, death passes over us. So you see, it's very important that we have the Old Testament and the New Testament explains what that was. And the Old Testament looks forward to what the New Testament brings and what Jesus will bring. And so we have joy in this new age, this new covenant in which Christ brings to us in the inauguration of this new kingdom of life. Listen to what the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 10, beginning of verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians second letter, chapter five, verses 17 through 19 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen to this, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So there is joy in what Jesus has come to do. There is joy for those of us who believe in him. There is joy for those of us who trust him as Savior, looking forward to the consummation of that kingdom that he's already started and put into effect. Secondly, it's an age of hope. Even as the New Testament pointed us to Christ and the inauguration of this new kingdom has come, even now, you see, the the New Testament points us forward to that consummation when Christ comes again. It points us to the to the consummation of our glorified existence in the new heaven and the new earth at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bridegroom, whom we will be with forever and ever. John in the Revelation chapter 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The old order is replaced by the new order. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As believers, we look forward with renewed joy, with renewed hope. for what God has done for us. And thirdly, it's a time of relief. We live in a world that's affected by sin and the curse. We see it all around us. We see it in us. We see it in our political systems. We see it in our economic systems. We see it in our healthcare systems, our educational systems, our justice system, our governmental system. All these things are affected by sin. There is nothing perfect. There will always be difficulties and difficult problems. And we see it in ourselves. We see our own sins. For we're not perfect either. And we we know that we cannot trust any single system. We cannot trust any single person in the world today to bring us out of these things. It's only Christ who is one day coming as the bridegroom to make everything that's wrong right, to take away the curse, to take away the effects of sin and make us right and good forever. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter 3. 
He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. God has something great for us, and we will be relieved from the difficulties and the problems that are all around us. In the meantime, we obey God. We preach the gospel. We do what we can to right the wrongs around us. But ultimately, we wait. That relief is coming. We look for that relief. That future joy, hope, and relief is offered to you today. Jesus said, Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He says, come, you who are weary of trying to patch your existence or trying to find new purpose and meaning and something that is just as unyielding and restrictive as what you already have. Come to Jesus, confess your sin, trust him. Trust his work on the cross to save you and experience what is new, what is fulfilling, what is exciting, what is satisfying, what is full of hope, joy, and relief for the future. And those of us in Christ rejoice and look forward in joy and hope and relief to the day when we will be glorified and his kingdom will be consummated and the curse of sin and death will be destroyed and we will have eternal joy in his presence. I've had the privilege over the years that I was here to officiate at funerals of your loved ones and families. And we emphasize those things at a funeral. Here's this loved one, and we're putting this person into the ground, but we're looking forward in hope to this consummated kingdom when God will raise them up into it. This is not just for burials. It's for you and me now. This hope, this joy, this relief, this kingdom, that is coming. Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming back. And he has shown us it's not to patch things. He started to make something new, to inaugurate this kingdom. And it's not to use old formats, but to bring something remarkable, patterned after the Garden of Eden and its beauty itself. Something gloriously new. 
That includes you and me. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love to us, showing us what is yet in store for those who are yours. And through it, giving us joy, hope, and a sense of relief so that we might be able to endure the afflictions, the troubles, the difficulties, the problems, knowing that we look ahead to your coming again and the consummation of your kingdom and that great marriage supper of the Lamb. Give us perseverance, faith, to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.